This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. Hey, this is Todd Berry. Welcome to episode four. I think it's episode four, episode four of uh, my podcast. Janine Garofalo is my guest. I initially asked her about doing the show and a few weeks ago, and she said she couldn't do it because her dog had, I believe it was diarrhea, something diarrhea-like. And then I brought it up again, and then she actually did a follow-up to see if I wanted her to be on my podcast. So it was nice, uh, that kind of enthusiasm you have to reward by following through with the invite. I think you know what I'm trying to say. Here's Janine Garofalo. Hey, everyone. It's the Todd Barry Podcast. <laughs> I'm already have my guest in stitches here. This is great. Look at her. Literally. She's in stitches. She's stitching something. She's making me a sweater. She's laughing. This is a re- We're off to a rip-roaring good start here. This is a... I'm with Janine Garofalo. Hello. Hello. Uh, hopefully, we're recording this correctly. I made a mistake last recording and talked to someone for a half hour and then said, oh, we didn't record any of that. It was just a trial run. It was a trial run, but it was great having you over and sitting across from me while we chatted and wasting your time. But uh, <laughs> that's another story. That'll be for the... Uh, Who was it? It was Matt Kirshen, but we ended up just talking some more. Mm-hmm. But um, it's about four o'clock in the afternoon here, 4.15. On it's a not beautiful, like, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. day There's nothing better to do. On a rare, beautiful day in New York, than to come over and sit inside, <laughs> sit inside my kitchen, <laughs> with the hum of the refrigerator with behind us. With the hum us. of a refrigerator, where because I have to record this near my refrigerator, as opposed to the ten other better places where I could record this. Yeah, people have been giving me a hard time about the sound, but I think we we picked something up. We I had a guy come over, a consultant. Although I'd have to, I would have to replace this eighty-nine dollar microphone <laughs> with a hundred and ten dollar microphone, which would solve all. The you problems. can write that off, though. It's business. I know, expense. but I, people say you know write that off, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean like you got it free, though, right? No, but you will get if it's a business expense. You certainly uh, will receive something back for it. You get a refund for it, or you can write it off. Although you use it for your business, and there's things that people say you can write that off that really you can't. But this is. A microphone that you use for a podcast that you use on. Yeah, some people. Yeah, oh, I'm going to write this off, believe mm-hmm. me, and I'm going to, I'm going to buy a lot of presents for people with the money I save <laughs> with this ninety dollars write off. But yeah, people do. There are things like benefit shows where someone said, "Oh, you just write off whatever you would have charged for that." And oh no, I would never even do that. And also, people. And I asked some, my accountant about that. He's like, "No, you can't." Do I that. wouldn't do that. And also, there's some people who are, uh, you know, sometimes when you do a benefit, they offer you. Uh, very kindly, they'll say, and we'll pay you. And I always say, no, it's, this is this is a benefit, yeah. but some comics take the money. I would never, if it's like a real charity, uh, then I would never take money. But sometimes it's like, hey, we're building a wing on to our synagogue. 
That's to, real. Yeah, I still wouldn't take the money. Stuff like, like that. Well, no. no. You can give me a certain amount of money. If it's not like life or death, disease, civil rights, or something like that. If it's just like, hey, we just want to raise some money to build something, it's not a charity. Well, uh, I, I diverge with Todd here on this one. Even when it, you know, because we have a lot of friends who have kids in pre-K that cost more than a college tuition. So there's frequently fundraisers for that. And I, I still wouldn't take money for that, even though it's one of those things like, why are you sending your child to a pre-K that is $21,000 a semester? And I know in New York, it's a very difficult thing. And there's a great documentary about it called Nursery University that shows the madness of, of what it takes to get your kids into a good pre-K program so that their life will be better. So... If I did a fundraiser for a better sound system here? I would do it, and I would take no money for it. Oh, my God. Well, hand me your calendar. I can just tell you. Just give me a date, and I'll, and I'll be here. Do you I have live your calendar right, memorized? I live, no, I don't at all, but I live right down the street from you. You do live very close to me, which is nice. You're one of the people who lives close to me who I never, ever hang out with. Well, I don't tend to hang out because I have terrible social anxiety. Do you really? Not um, with me, you don't, though. In general, though, I have a... It's gotten worse as I've gotten older. I have a... A very strange, you know, I love walking alone. I like being alone a lot. Um, but I like, um, once I'm out for a certain amount of time outside of the apartment, I really need to get back inside. <laughs> I get a sense of tremendous anxiety. Right, it just hits you. It just hits me. And, and so I tend to decline offers to hang out and stuff because I don't know when it's going to hit me. And it comes on very abruptly. And I figure it's better to just say, oh, no, thanks, I'm going to go home. Then sometimes I abruptly stand up and say, I have to go right now. And a per the person I'm with thinks, assumes something terrible is happening. Like they I'm did something angry. wrong. Yeah. So I, in order to avoid that, I just usually decline any and all invitations to do anything. I do see you. You're one of the people I run into a lot on the street. And you are usually alone. But I'm usually alone. Mm -hmm. Um but you, you are up for being social and going am, somewhere yeah, oh and sitting. But I, I can't do that. But I can't, I can't seem to comfortably sit in, you know, get a cup of coffee or whatever. Especially with the ambient noise and and the people around. Something about it. Um, like when I have to leave, I have to leave right away. And I, and I get I that way at parties where you just suddenly like, oh, gotta leave this party. Right. What I do is I do the old Irish goodbye, which is just uh, leave. Now, is that the Irish goodbye so, or is that the French exit? I've heard both. Uh, I don't. Either way, you know, Irish, French. Uh, See, I'm too racked with guilt, and I, I will often walk around like doing like, oh, I got to say, yeah, I got to say goodbye to you. But then there's sometimes I'm going. It takes a long time to extract yeah, yourself. Yeah. Or uh, luckily, I smoke, so I can say I'm just going to go have a cigarette. But really, I just leave. I mean, I am smoking as well, but I'm walking home. I think I've been on shows there. with you where you disappeared, where you do the, where the Irish goodbye. Uh, Stand-up shows? Just, I feel like I've yeah. been in a situation where I go, where'd Janine go? And they go, oh, she took off. Yeah. And I go, the Irish goodbye. The French exit. <laughs> Whatever we want to call I can't believe it. she French exited me. <laughs> um, last time I ran into you, well, two Austin. times. Austin, we did a, the Moon Tower Comedy Festival, which was really which fun. Which was really fun. That's yeah. a really fun festival. And I ran into you on the street once where you're going for a long solo walk. Right, that, at that punishing day, because I was punishing myself for the cheese it. Okay, I wasn't sure you wanted to get into it. Oh, that's fine. This is a bombshell. Um, I mean, I, I enjoy walking anyway, but this was in punishment for having eaten almost an entire box of cheese it's while channel surfing in my hotel room, which is just bang out of order. So I walked probably for three and a half hours that day. Did you really? Yeah. You walked all the way across Congress, haven't you? Yeah, and then I just wandered and kept wandering. You know what I mean? Just kept finding other ways to walk in a serpentine 
way so it would take me longer so to get So is that what, was that purely because of the Cheez-Its? No, no, no. I mean, I, I would have taken a walk anyway, but it wouldn't have had that overhanging uh, sense of guilt and, um, and, and disgust with my body that was attached to that one. How big was the box of Cheez-Its? It was, actually it was a Cheez-Its grab you get at the airport, uh, which is that larger size like uh, bag that you can reseal. It's called like a fun grab bag uh-huh. or something, it, and it's pretty big. And you ate the whole thing? Of course I did. Well, it's kind of hard. I love Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its are good. They're very savory. I don't, don't, don't bring up cheese nips with me, because th- oh. those are, cheese nip is to cheese it as Hydrox is to the Oreo. I didn't even realize... I mean, I've heard of cheese nips. Yeah, it's very inferior. Uh, wow. In my opinion, uh, I hope the cheese nip conglomerate doesn't. I was going to say, if the cheese rep is listening. Oh my gosh, I have talked hello. for years about how much I love cheese its. Uh, I'd be happy to do uh, any any kind of spokespersoning for the cheese it consortium. Now, I know you're joking, but are you joking? Would you do a, I would, would absolutely you do a full on yeah. cheese it. If it's something I absolutely love, which for years I, I love cheese its. Especially, they've got new flavors like uh, Cheddar Jacks. Sometimes you get cheese at Duos. There's sharp cheddar and Parmesan in one box. Things of that nature. Don't they have the Parmesan garlic ones? Um, I'm not sure. Nips? There's um, Parmesan garlic chips now. Potato chips, Lay's potato chips. But I've never seen Parmesan garlic cheese. It's. So I have to. I'll have to investigate that. How? How often? Do this you is a fascinating podcast. I like this. I like that we're talking about this because it's not like. The la- uh, Todd, I talked about the cheese. It's the last time. <laughs> Come on, I'm tired of this question about the cheese. It's in the walk in Austin. Well, I'm sure uh, anyone who has experienced cheese understands how savory they are. The, the unfortunate part, if you overdo it as I do, is there comes a point where you have so many cheeses, it it, you, it has an adverse effect. Like because I guess the oils and the salts and stuff, and it forms. I'm sure a huge paste, a ball in your stomach, and then that moves slowly through your lower intestine. Um, that's probably not great. How often do you eat them? When I'm traveling, constantly. I, uh, you know, what I mean, I enjoy cheeses anyway. But anytime I go to an airport, I get the cheese it grab or any like if there's near the hotel. Because on principle, I, I don't want to pay for the mini bar stuff. It's yeah, just that's brutal. ridiculously expensive. And there's usually like a mart or a store or even the hotel store always has cheese its. And so I get cheese its and eat them. So it's a traveling of, treat for you. It's a traveling treat. But you know. if you go to Trader Joe's or Whole Foods. Uh, I would get whatever their version of a savory thing is. It's gonna not. It's not going to satisfy me the way a cheese it will. Um, Man, you should you should be doing this commercial. They should just use let's the consider audio this now. We- let's consider this now my audition for a cheese it commercial. I'm serious. That is national campaign. So you, would you? I feel like I'm. I don't know if it's great that I can keep going with this mm-hmm. or it's a terrible idea. Well, you'll get feedback. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure the iTunes reviewers. <laughs> the last guy who wrote meh for a, the new Vampire Weekend album will take time. Right, he'll have another automatopoeia for you <laughs> for this. Um, so you would do a full-on campaign tour. Would you do like Cheez-Its logo in the background? I don't think so, uh, but I think I would be happy to quite honestly share my love of cheeses with people, but I don't think I'd like to do stand-up show with a Cheez-It banner yeah. unless uh, the audience was willing to listen to me discuss Cheez-Its and the banner uh, for the first 20 to 30 minutes of each show. It would be hard to do, like, political, liberal political material with the cheese. <laughs> well, you know, I, I do some political material. I'm not a political comedian, per se. Some people have mischaracterized me that way, which um, I... It doesn't make me angry, but it's not... It's not 
completely, it, does, no, it doesn't define silly. me. I mean, there's yeah. plenty of stuff I do. And then also, you know, the political stuff I do, it doesn't, it's, I am a liberal, absolutely a liberal. I'm not denying that. But talking about facts doesn't make you liberal. It just happens to be the truth. But if you want to, if people want to ascribe facts and the truth with being liberal, I'll take it. But a lot of people say, you do liberal political material. No, I do, I do political cultural material and I deal in fact, uh, you know, and, and I happen to be liberal. Do you think you fairly, uh, look at both sides though? I mean, sometimes you, there's not, there's not the two, there's not two, of course I will. Okay. There's not two sides to every story. There are two sides to many stories in life, but there is such a thing as fact. And then there's this bullshit, uh, journalistic objectivity, which just means you let the liar skate when, you know, when pundits are on, you let, you let the liar spin and you treat it with equal weight, which is the, a huge problem with mainstream media, which is not news to anyone. I'm sure many people know that, but there is, uh, times, many times, especially when you're dealing with, uh, politics, culture, social justice issue, issues, uh, current events where fact exists. There isn't two sides to every single thing that happens. There's, there's things that happen and there's true stories about them. Uh, unfortunately you have to, you have to go outside the mainstream media. Obviously, again, this is not news to anyone to get, to get stories, but also there's people like, uh, Amy Goodman, for example, who is a paragon of integrity and honesty, who makes no money doing what she's doing and has no corporate sponsors. I feel very comfortable trusting her. She's beholden to no one. She relies on donations from the public for that, you know, for Pacifica Radio, like any public radio station or news channel. If there is a, a news source that is beholden to no entity, you can pretty much trust what Where can what we go saying. for stuff like that? Because I don't know. Oh, there's, there's like a, well, like I said, Amy Goodman. Like, yeah. And, and Pacifica Radio, to a degree, National Public Radio, PBS, Bill Moyers on PBS, you can trust. I feel you can trust Rachel Maddow, Lawrence O'Donnell, lot of, Chris Hayes, MSNBC. They, they, uh, it's, it is, you know, people go, oh, well, the left has MSNBC and the right has Fox. There is no similarity whatsoever between Fox and MSNBC. Fox is a propaganda entity created by Rupert Murdoch and Richard Ailes to sell uh, misinformation to the people for uh, political and, and uh, corporate purposes. MSNBC, unfortunately, has corporate masters that, that are just as shitty as anyone else. But Lawrence and, and Chris Hayes and, and Rachel Maddow, just as three examples, are, are, have a lot of integrity. And it is of no benefit to anyone for them to lie to you. They don't need to. They don't have to do that job. You know, they've got other things they can do, and especially Lawrence O'Donnell, who has a, you know, he's financially quite secure. He used to write for the West Wing, among other things, and he's an actor. Also, he's the judge on uh, Big Love, and he's been in other things. Yes, he he was when it was on. He also is an author, and he was a lawyer, and um, you know, he has a nest egg. He, He. the amount of money he gets paid by MSNBC, which I'm sure is fine, is not something that motivates him. What motivates him is to, to try and bring information to people. Do you, would you like a show like that? No, not at all. Not, I, I is don't, it too focused on politics? Is that what well, no, 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 not that. I, and I was quite happy when I was at Air America Radio, except for, you know, management. But uh, it's an enormous amount of work. I'm not that bright. I'm intellectually curious, which is a plus, but I'm not particularly smart. Um, and it's also quite emotionally painful if you care about people and things and the environment, uh, as news unfolds before you, as events unfold, uh, 
there's so much social injustice that, that to absorb that all the time it can be very painful for a lot of people. Does that make sense? Yeah, you would be immersed in it. And also the amount of hate mail you get and the amount of, of backlash, for which is very unjust. Again, like when we were working at Air America, Sam Cedar, who's wonderful, still has that uh, the majority report that we had on Air America. His podcast is still going, the majority report. He is committed and passionate. You know, he is steeped in it. And he cares a great deal about the truth and about getting information to people. And he's a very bright guy. And he... Where we differ is emotionally he can take it. It doesn't bother him, hate mail. It doesn't bother him, criticism, all this kind of stuff. He's so he's so focused on what he's doing that any negative feedback doesn't seem to hurt him. And it hurts me terribly, even from people I don't respect, even from, you know, the, you know, it's, it's, uh, we, when we first started working in America, we used to walk home with, with baseball bats. Because we weren't aware that a lot of these death threats and things are, are just idle. You know, you, the people you have to worry about are not the people writing you or emailing you or calling you. Yeah, you they have to worry about the people who are not saying anything. But we would get so many and people threatening to blow up the building when we first started in America that when we walk home, we walked home together with lit cigarettes and bats. Really? And of course, never had actual, to use them. Actual, actual baseball bats that baseball. I bought us uh, the first day we started working there. That's crazy. Yeah, we, we didn't understand that, like I said, you, the people you have to fear are not the people who yeah. are. Yeah, I always wonder, noise. like, even someone like Ann Coulter, who I don't agree with, but it must be, she lives in New York City. It must be right. weird for her to walk around in New well, York City. Well, here's the thing, though. She's a right-wing douchebag. She's a professional liar and, uh, and a mercenary, uh, and she's also a misanthropic person. She doesn't have to worry about a lot of negative feedback from people who oppose her, because we're nicer. You know what I mean? We are not... <laughs> People, people who who disagree with her, tend to be less likely to be violent with her, or the occasional maybe um, comment might be made at her. She doesn't care about people. You know, she's a sociopath, I believe, so I don't think it bothers her. It's the right wing people who are quite aggressive and can be quite dangerous. I think it's part of their limbic brain that makes them right wingers. Also makes them be more uh, aggressive. So I think I think she, uh, you know, maybe she'll get a pie in the face, one of those type of things that people do to make a statement. But one time she was riding her bike. Oh, no, 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 she was walking uh, on my street. She was going to Il Cantori, this Italian restaurant. No, I've never been there. I've never been there. It looks good. Been there forever. And it's there good. was this kid who was riding by on a bicycle who noticed her and he goes, ew! And it was the most spontaneous thing. Like, I felt like that summed it up. He just went, ew, like as soon as he clocked her. Wow. But that was the most of it. Whereas some of the right-wingers I have encountered over the years, they get up in your face, they make threats, and of course they feel very comfortable threatening a five-foot-one female when she's by herself. Um, you know, whenever I would do any like activist stuff back in the early 2000s, whether it would be Tim Robinson or Billy Bragg or any of these people, Tom Morello, nobody got in their face. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah and they tend to pick on the females who, and when they're by themselves. But uh, I don't recall Tim Robbins at six foot five um, having any issues the, the way that, that I have encountered them. Is that part of the reason why you uh, don't really have a web presence? Because if you don't want to hear from people? Uh, that That's a lot of it. But also, I... It, it, I just, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm old enough to have lived most of my life without 
all this technology. But just being that connected also makes me anxious. It's similar to sitting and having dinner with somebody and have to get up and leave right away. Once you're in and have a web presence, you're in. I have no desire to tweet. There's a fake me tweeting, which is very annoying. Uh, there's a fake web presence me. There was a fake Facebook me. But I don't do any of that stuff. It harms your stand-up career for sure. Um, because if you have a good web presence and you keep in touch with people, it's easier to sell tickets when you do stand-up. I thought you said it harms. It harms it not to have it. Oh, not to not have it. Not to okay. have it. Okay. Um, much to the chagrin of my managers and agents that I have no web presence. You know, it's, it's harder to move tickets when you do stand-up on the road. Because people rely on, on the web presence. But I feel the more you expose yourself, the more you give people an opportunity to dislike you. I just feel, I just feel that's the way it is. The more you are out and about, and the more that you engage the more people will decide for whatever reason they don't like you. And so I feel it's best to just stay out of it because i got plenty of people who don't like me with me saying nothing because there's plenty of people who also manufacture stuff I say. Over the years, right-wingers do that too. They, they will uh, ascribe claim, uh, statements that you've made and then you get criticized for it and you haven't even said it. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous in a way of people who are like you and like Tig doesn't have a Twitter. Just people because I feel like, God, it takes a lot of strength to not... Well, I, you're people, ascribing too much nobility to me. For me, it's not about strength or anything. Yeah, I just, just have not, no. I'm just not it, yeah. interested in it. And and um, I also, it's a full time job for some people who are truly plugged in, truly work the system. And like Amy Schumer, who I'm a huge fan of, I, I love her and I and I think she's very funny and I really enjoy her show. I just saw that she's very engaged in, and she's younger. So I mean, it's, it's it's very natural for her to be very engaged in this way and have a huge web presence. But she, uh, she, like many comics, has a thing that you're alerted when anybody said something about you or has tweeted about oh, you. Oh, Google or, uh, yeah. Yeah. And why would you go delve into that when it, when people, it's, it's very cowardly when people are anonymous, right? They're going to take a shot if they can, especially with females. Um, cause, you know, for whatever reason, there's a gender issue at play always where people feel more critical. I mean, I don't, I don't I'm not denying that, but men get. Oh, I understand. Oh, I'm not saying they don't. But uh, women get more ad hominem attacks, you know, physical appearance stuff or things like that. But in a situation, say there's uh, uh, two comics have said something that's considered immoderate. The female will get it will get more criticism than the male. It will be held against the female more than the male. That's just a society, unfortunately. Now, last time I saw you in Austin, sort of on this subject, I ran into you a second time. But it was actually the last night. It was like two, three in the morning or something like that. Yeah. I ran into you and your lady friend. Yeah. And um, this is what you're going to tell about the guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. you, and you were like, well, I guess you can just tell me what happened. Well, tell us what happened. It, it, actually, this is an innocuous thing. It was actually kind of funny. But um, I had made it unscathed, you know what I mean, through the, through the events and the days that we were at the festival and had some good shows. I would say my midnight show with Brian, I was not entirely on top of my game. Um, the show started late and, um, I don't think I even got on stage till like 1am and the audience was tired. And I was also just thinking, gosh, I guess we probably all don't want to be here right now in a, in a way. I didn't say that, but, but, uh, uh, I'm sure my, my, my slower pace and my, uh, whatever was, was indicative of that I was tired. So I wasn't as good as I should have been on stage or as I would like to have been on stage. But, you know, having said that, it was fine. Nobody said that. I didn't get heckled. And then the last night we were in Austin, very late, you were going back to the hotel. I was going back to the hotel and I was waiting to cross the street before I saw you. And a gentleman got out of his cab at a light, at the red light, to say, that he was very disappointed in my performance uh, the night before. 
the one the show I had done with Brian. And he was there was no malicious intent actually. He was very drunk, but he was not being malicious at all. He was earnestly and with a full heart explaining to me why I was so disappointing. So he was stage. talking to you like you were a restaurant manager and he didn't enjoy his No, no, he was talking to me chicken. like a friend, actually. Oh, really? You know what I mean? He, like I said, he was not being rude. It's just one of those things where it still hurts your feelings and and, and I, I am never impolite, uh, you know, to these people and also comedy subjective. But to stop to get out of your cab like it's been on your mind to say, um, you really, you really, I was disappointed. But like I said, he wasn't being malicious. He was being earnest. But it's, yeah, I have a thin skin about that I don't know if that would make me feel any better knowing that they were. It's better that than he being uh, uh, rude about it. He wasn't rude in any way. And actually he was quite affable. Don't you think that's sort of innately rude, rude about uh, um, it was either that or it was a person who had gone expecting something better and had been disappointed. But also, you know, uh, there is a connection between comic and audience, especially if you are really talking, you know, and you're not doing the same thing the same way all the time. Now, uh, that's not to say I don't repeat jokes. I, I certainly do. But I always leave a lot of breathing room for, like, whatever, or, or I'll try and open with something new or discuss something in a different way. So I am talking or hopefully talking to the audience, it creates like a, hopefully that, that we're, we're connected in some way. So it's not like the guy would feel like a complete stranger. You know, I was on stage for over an hour and he was there. Mm -hmm. And so it was like we were talking for an hour and he had gone to see the show in a way. I, I don't know if I articulated that. No, no. Well. I, it sounds like you're being, uh, more forgiving. Than well, no, I there's probably, nothing to forgive. He yeah. was, uh, and I'm sure he doesn't remember he did it. Yeah, he was so, so you drunk. think the alcohol probably had a lot? Oh, I'm sure the alcohol had a lot to do with the need to get out of the cab right at the moment. Had he been sober, he might have said something. I don't know, but he wasn't unkind. Yeah, to me, it's just the weird thing about that is that he he wasn't expecting to see you. Right. So he he pro in the in three seconds he processed. Oh, that's Janine. I didn't like her show, and now I'm going to tell her. Right. He, he probably thought, if I ever see her again, I would like to tell her I didn't like it. But perhaps he waited backstage or whatever to, to say it, or, you know, something like that, and we just missed each other, and I went down, out a different door or something. Maybe he did wait and want to say it. Or it was just a spontaneous thing, and he figured, oh, all right, there she is, uh, and I'll just tell her. But it, it, it wasn't unpleasant, actually. It just... It just... <laughs> it just... I. It confirms my worst fears about myself because I criticize myself quite quite a lot. A lot of people do, you know, but I I I am sort of extremely hard on myself. So it's almost like the straw that broke the camel's back when someone else says something. You know that phrase, "You're your own worst critic." I wish that were true. I wish that were true. I wish I was my own worst you critic. Think you're too easy on yourself? No, 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 no. Oh, what I'm saying is, there's second. always someone else who will say something like, "Oh, I hadn't even thought about that to hate about myself." Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, I was criticizing myself for this. I didn't even go down that avenue. This person just brought that up. So I, I am incredibly hard on myself. Uh, sometimes it's quite deserved, and sometimes it's an actual pathological issue that is just self-indulgent and ridiculous and time-wasting. Um, and I try, and I try, and, and uh, talk myself out of it. This is all going on in my head. It's not like I'm saying it to people. But very frequently... Um, before I go to sleep at night, and and the first thing when I wake in the morning, uh, there's an abstract sense of failure. You know what I mean? Or especially if I bombed the night before, which I did last night at Eastville. I just bombed, mm -hmm. and 
and there was just no connection I was trying to make. It was a small crowd, and I actually walked around the room and tried to meet people. And um, it, it you got was, you went off stage. You went yeah, off yeah. I mean, on Eastville, what I like is the stage is is just about an inch higher than the floor, yeah. which I like, and the cord for the mic is super long. So when it's a small crowd, so I you went out into the yeah. I, oh, I, when I've it's never really, seen you do that. Oh my gosh, I do that a lot. Sort of like Phil Donahue style. Uh, yeah, so, especially if it's not really going that well, uh-huh. uh, and I will just say. What's wrong? Like, what? what is it? What's happening? Is it me? Is it? And it's a dicey thing to ask questions like that because you may not like the answer. But I also feel like, hey, there's only 12 of us or sometimes there's only like a 7 o'clock show at Eastville or something. Or there's 24 of us because uh, those early shows, especially if it's light out, they, there's not a lot of people. So why not walk around and meet No, people? I like it. So even sometimes even that, that doesn't make a connection. And then you're just left with that hum of the air air conditioning vent and silence and people getting into their phones or sighing some putting their head down on the table and and it hurts me terribly because it is personal it is personal i'm being myself on stage so it's a personal rejection do you reflect do you go what didn't they like what did i yeah, do wrong? I, I, I will sometimes ask them do you ever blame the audience though? of course yeah of course but i also blame myself there is there is sometimes where the audience is to blame Absolutely. There is no doubt about it. There's times sometimes when they're so raucous or so drunk or so ill-mannered and all the comics are bombing, that's fine. But if they've been good and the other comics have been doing well and you bomb, you got to look at that, unless the other comics were hacks. (laughs) I know that sounds odd. But sometimes their audience is really responding really well to very uncreative blue comics who are perpetuating stereotypes or who just hacks and they're doing other people's material and the audience is loving them and they don't love you that I'll take okay <laughs> that's fine because clearly we don't have the same taste but if the other comics uh, have been doing a good job and they're good comics and the audience really like them and then I go on and they don't like me I have to accept 100% of that um, 100% of that have you had it I mean I've had it where someone goes on before me and I think they're terrible and then they like me just as much and then you're like right which and you're like all right they just wanted to have a good time which, right? which is nice uh you know a lot of times audience will will either go up or down with the comic and that's why it's unfortunate a lot of times a lot of clubs don't pay attention to who the hosts are or the MCs very much they get whoever they can get for the cheapest and it's a person maybe who hasn't had a lot of stage time or who is not sh- supposed to be doing stand-up comedy <laughs> I mean my peeve my pet peeve with hosts of shows and you see it I think more in New York is the the uh, surveying the room, like instead, of, I mean, I did the comedy cellar and there was a guy I'd never heard of hosting, and he just launched into material, and I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. Now they're just focused. Yeah. Like he didn't find out about birthdays, celebrations. Right. And it's like, oh, now they're just they're watching a show, and he's saying, it's I'm good. on stage, and this is what's going to happen. You're going to hear jokes. It's not always the MC's fault. They are unfortunately trained poorly yeah, I think by club management that has the wrong idea. Yeah, they're there's, told that that warms the crowd up. It's they like, are given very, and, and there's some clubs I work here locally that I like very much, but clearly the hosts have been given a mandate, which is wrong. And it's not fair to that comic. I find that less on the road though. Like you can work a road room and they just go right into their act. And I always sometimes, find, for the mo- yeah, sometimes. I find it more so than here, but I mean, it's just, there's some clubs with just a business model that is just not, it's, it's, I, I wish they could see that it's harmful. Like they, the comic I believe is forced or is encouraged 
to survey the room, ask about birthdays, then tell about the drink specials, then to, to bully the audience into clapping loud enough that they are satisfied. Like, come on, that's not loud enough. Come on, come on, give it up for whatever. Bullying them into manufactured fun and do it. Then there's a raffle, whatever it is. And, um, it's not fair to the MC. Unfortunately, this MC is making what, 10, $15 and has not had a lot of stage time and also doesn't know enough to say to the club management, I would rather not do that. I would like to do material, which actually would be better for the show. So the, going back to the point of the audience rising or falling with the comic, if the first few comics are of a lower brow, like very blue or very, um, you know, racist or sexist or l really loud and just really hacky, the audience will unfortunately keep dipping and dipping if there's like three or four of them in a row. But if there's three or four people in a row who are, who are more creative, they'll go up to that level. You know what I mean? Like this. So they're, um, it's unfortunate that the audience can be subjected to um, comics that are being unfortunately told to do certain things about asking about birthdays or where are you fr in from? Where are you from? Blah, 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 blah. Just this nonsense 1950s style crowd work. Yeah. That is. I mean, I certainly do crowd work, but I also, I wouldn't do it if I was opening a show. No, there's a difference between crowd work and well, probably bullying. Don't. Yeah. And you also just I mean? empty, empty questioning of the yes. audience. Like if you, if you're really skilled and you like something mm -hmm. to come out of it, but it's like, I always feel like. If I was sitting there, I'd go, would I rather hear a joke or would I rather hear someone, whether it's the person's anniversary next to me? Right. Well, it's and unfortunate the, the audience is held hostage to whatever is going on. A lot of people don't go to comedy clubs very regularly and they think, oh, this is what it's like. I think that scares some people away from comedy clubs. It, well, people who have discerning taste. Yeah. That's why you hear a lot of times, oh, I hate comedy clubs. I hate comedy. I sort of understand what they're saying. They've been to like chain comedy clubs maybe and been browbeaten by hacky comedians. Yeah, like the whole make some noise, make some noise. That, like, yeah, yeah. Like why don't you why don't you let them make noise when they want to make noise? And that's what and usually when I follow at certain clubs here in town, which again I'm very pleased to get the stage time, uh, because the the host has been forced to do that. And then when I get on I always say, You guys you don't have to just make as much noise as you want or not. It's a it's your choice. Yeah, and the audience I think they like to hear that. I would hope so. Uh, sometimes they are confused by it because they've been browbeaten for about an hour prior to somebody saying that because every comic coming up a lot of times go give it up for so-and-so again they make them clap twice for do you know what i mean see like, i stopped doing that because i feel I like the guy's getting that. applause all day all night to just sort of you already applauded when he right 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 yeah there's no reason to to force people to keep because then especially if there's like six comics going on then i like yeah and everyone's going hey let's hear it for your host yes why okay we right. appreciate it exactly and then the host gets on and says let's hear it again for todd berry yeah. or let's it, it's constant well that's good brow beating of the audience <laughs> which it would keep any kind of discerning audience member out of a comedy club. Yeah. Do you, um, I saw you in Austin. Have you been on the road a lot? Actually? Yes. I was, Let's uh, hear some cities. The, uh, well for the last couple months, uh, basically every, almost every weekend or week I've been at a different place, but, uh, in May I don't have any road work. No. Yeah. It was for like the last two and a half months. Are you going anywhere, or where have you been? Oh, the usual. Um, you went to Toronto, I know that. Toronto, Montreal, place. Portland, Seattle, um, East Seattle, Tacoma. Um, what did you play in Tacoma? The Is it the Neptune Theater? 
Oh, that's a nice very, place. It was good. It was good. That's in Seattle, though. Yeah, but then there's East. This is East Seattle, oh, okay. Tacoma, and uh, uh, Philadelphia, um, Washington. You know, on the train, the Acela train stuff, uh, Baltimore, all that. Just the usual, just the usual stuff anybody does. Um, were they good shows, mainly? Yeah, for the most part, they were good. I mean, I hope they were. I, I thought they were. Um, and a lot of times I am with Dave Hill, which is Oh, so fun. you bring someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's funny. I don't, I always, don't always bring someone, but sometimes I request if they allow it. Because sometimes they have their own people that they... Yeah, that always freaks me which out. Is a, which is a drag. Out. Yeah, where you're just like... Yeah, we got, we're gonna we got your opening act. Oh, okay. Is it? Uh-huh. I thought it was my show. Uh huh. I thought maybe I could have someone. Well, who, then when I, I say, "Can I bring someone?" Uh, they say yes, but then I'm paying for their plane tickets, hotel room, no, and yeah. and then you're making no money. I mean, it's a huge chunk out of, and then you have to pay them for yeah, their sometimes. set, and you have to pay them well. I mean, especially if it's a friend, you can't just throw them. They tell I wouldn't pay him well. No, I, I'm no, just you have he's to. Listening. I'm so it's it's one of those things where if you want. Uh, and I don't consider him my opener. He's a co, you know, co with me. He's he's a headliner in his own right. But it's fun to travel with somebody you like, and it's and it's fun to work with somebody whose comedy you actually enjoy watching, and who, which is good. But when it costs you, you're actually you're actually losing money on the deal. Yeah. Um, once you've paid for both of your plane tickets and hotel rooms and all that, and with commissions that go to your manager and. Uh, and your agent, um, you actually are losing money. And then I put my dog for boarding. Uh, you know, it costs a great deal of money. So you deal with whoever the opener is. Sometimes you get real lucky. Like I just worked with a very nice guy named um, Derek Sheen. Um, Where was that? In uh, Seattle, in Portland, and he's great guy. We we drove from Seattle, Portland together, and it was actually quite enjoyable. About a four hour drive. We just talked the whole. Yeah, that's time. always nice when you get oh this this person's cool. Yeah, and they're smart and it's someone new to talk to. He was just a real enjoyable to be with. He was funny and he was a great company. Derek so, Sheen getting a good shout out here on the Derek Top Sheen, Barry podcast. Yeah. And um, then there's sometimes there's people who they're very very nice. This is not impugning their character. Some openers that are assigned to you by the club who again are um, being paid very very little and have had very little stage time and. They will start that show, even if it's in a theater space or whatever, just like in a club. You know, they'll do that hack crowd work or because they it's not their fault. You know what I mean? They've and it, it's the club's fault or it's the theater's fault because they don't want to spend the time to think about who is a good opener for whom, who goes with whom. Well, and let's pay somebody what they what they should be paid and get it a real good opener because the audience will enjoy the entire show more. But that's just not how it works. Yeah, I think sometimes they just, uh, they go, oh, yeah, well, we had this guy booked since last January. Yeah. Okay. And then whoever was going right. to go on after him was going to go on after him. There was no... Right. It's like we got a comic. Then we, it's like when they assign you to uh, the country music radio station that they have a deal with. To oh, do when interview. you have to do radio stuff, especially when the club person or the theater person tells you that you're not moving enough tickets and they trot you around to all and sundry radio stations, whether it makes any sense or not, demographically speaking. Yeah, and it's not like, I mean, I, I could certainly go to a country music station and have a good chat. But, you know, I've done, like, sports shows where I'm like, oh, this is going to be a terrible. And the guy, like, oh, I know who you are. And they ask me great questions mm-hmm. and, like, just stops talking about sports. And But at the same time, not all of them are like that. And then I always feel yeah. like maybe you're hurting your business by forcing me to wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning 
to call the country station right. when they didn't they didn't even bother finding out anything about me right. and they just think I'm going to start doing an act. It actually has nothing to do with I'm the in genre. My shorts. It, no, it's no, not about no. the genre. No. Country, rock, whatever it is. It's not about the genre. It's about the type of hosts depending on who they are. Yeah. Not all of them, but many, especially if it's in the morning, they are morning drive zoo crew maniacs who I don't know how to thrive amongst. You know what I mean? And then they'll ask questions like, hey, did you watch The Bachelor or Card- whatever faux reality show? And, and, and I'm like, I, d- I don't want, I don't have a comment on that. I, I don't. And then they think you're being a spoil sport. Or they'll try to uh, do a gotcha political thing, or they'll just bring up, uh, they'll do some lazy, lazy research about anyone who has said something negative about you. How do you respond to that? It says here, so-and-so said this about you. What do you think of that? Uh, I don't know. You know. I guess it hurt my feelings. What would you like me to do? <laughs> Escalate this, and then you'll tell that per- whatever it is. It's just it does hurt. I can't imagine anyone listening going, "Oh, I'm going to go see her." That that was great. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I've done them where it's just like the guy. I did a hip hop one in I think Minneapolis where the guy was like standing across from me at the control thing. He's just like, "So I'm just going to just say I'm just going to say your name, and then you start. You go, all right? I'm uh-huh. like, what do you mean I go? Like right. start." Do I start doing an act for you? Like uh-huh. standing across from the guy with the muscle t-shirt on or whatever? Right. With no audience? Well, like, yeah, that's happened to me before where the people are standing at the at the console and they, they will say something like that. And then um, I don't say anything until they say go. And then I say, I've been asked to just go. I don't know what that means. So then I'll just start discussing something. Yeah. I used to and, hate when they uh, wanted set up questions, but then I realized... Probably better if they, no. I don't want. I don't want to do the setup question because they make it very obvious it's a, set, a setup question. I mean, if, if I mean, I'd rather not do it. But if that's all they can handle, it, mm-hmm. and you're suddenly going, no, why don't you just talk to me? Then they don't. Sometimes they don't know what to do. Right, and then sometimes it goes really well. Like there's some there's some people at some of the stations where you get in a very good conversation yeah. and they're they're genuinely interesting and funny. But for the most part, and again, it's not their fault. It's their corporate masters force them into a certain box for morning drive radio, and they unfortunately adhere to that model which isn't always suitable for every comic do you have um do you have any road rules not road rules not like you can cheat on your boyfriend when you're on the road but the uh i mean like rituals do you besides the cheese it's the cheese it's that i think we, we hit that pretty oh, hard oh i look for in any any city or place i'm in i'm look i look for a bead store because i really? make jewelry and as i'm doing my walkabouts my wandering i see if i can find any bead stores and uh, I like to spend time in there hunting and searching for great beads. Does, do most cities have a bead store? Yeah. And a lot of times they're named things like, let it bead. Let Don't it. worry, <laughs> bead happy. Beadology. They always have a name like that. Um, <laughs> now I want to think of some bead but, store names. But I like to find like indigenous beads or tribal beads or, or um, uh, Nat- Native American beads or... or um, Different, I don't like sh- shiny round, just shiny round beads or plastic looking beads. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I like to look for certain types of beads. Do people bring you beads the way they bring Doug Benson pot? Sometimes, uh, sometimes people bring me jewelry they make because uh, I discuss making jewelry a lot. That's so. actually a good road hobby because they don't weigh a lot. You can buy a shitload of beads, right? And, and not cord have to check and it back. things like that. And then I can also, well, I never check it back. That's nothing wrong. I, I don't care how long I'm anywhere. I military roll. Everything in, 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 I bring one smaller backpack and one bigger backpack. Everything is, is in 
the backpacks and I just wash stuff out in the sink because there's no air in hotel rooms and it'll be dry in two seconds. So you'll like, you'll hand wash. I hand wash my clothes and they're dry. That's Henry Rollins style. Or sometimes uh, I have been known to uh, just buy a pack of like t-shirts and stuff and then I'll leave the old t-shirts behind And I don't mean that in a cavalier way, like, hey, you deal with it. But sometimes I wonder, I'll just give it to, you know, maybe the person who comes in the room next might want this T-shirt. Oh, you'll leave them, like, laid out? Yes. Mm -hmm. And and they've been washed. But I I sometimes feel like I'm done with this T-shirt. I've worn it 8 million times. I can't do it anymore. So I'm I'm just going to get a new T-shirt. So whenever I buy new stuff, I think I should get rid of something else. So when you go on the road, are you, you're usually in the city just a couple of nights or one night? You don't do a lot of, like, four-night places anymore, do you? Uh, no, it's usually two nights, maybe, two or three sometimes. Sometimes I'll stay an extra day if it's a city I love just to yeah, hang like, out longer. Yeah, I like doing that, and I like getting in the night before. Yes, I do that, too. I don't want to—I don't want—because especially now with all the—with the with the budget cuts and stuff because of the Republican Congress, uh, there's less uh, air traffic controllers, there's less— um, People, TSA people, so there's flight delays now all over the country that um, make the flying, especially if you're leaving JFK, you will be on that tarmac for a long time, and then your pilot will tell you two hours after you've been sitting there that you're 80th in line for takeoff. It's getting worse and worse because of these budget cuts. Yeah, you know, they used to, I think now, like an hour late, that, that doesn't even count as late until... No, not anymore. And, and it's, and like, it's hey, in case you didn't know what was going on, we're late. Yeah. But because of the sequester, because of the the budget cuts that have just happened and because uh, Republicans will do anything to try and destroy Barack Obama, um, they have made sure that there's less airport people working so that it's now even more. This is all across the country, but especially at hub airports. So it's such an arduous thing. I figure I don't want to take a chance flying day of for a show. And also you may get in literally moments before you have to go on. Yeah. It's so much more fun to just, especially, especially if it's a fun city, you leave, take like an afternoon flight out of New York. Mm. Yeah. And also, I need to take a shower after any plane. I can't. Some people will get up, uh, will get off a plane. Literally, even if they've just flown in from Europe, they've been on a plane 13, 14 hours, and they will go right up wearing the same clothes and then hang out afterwards. And I, I can't. I can't have plane, uh, airplane clothes. And also, it's just a bacteria. It's just a, it's just a tube full of bacteria. Do you spend a lot of time? Are you one of those people? Well, I you, I know this answer. You, you go for walks. You don't. You're not someone who's like oh, I'm going to hang in my hotel room for four hours. Or no, no, no. I uh, I I definitely go for walks and stuff. But at night, I have to admit, like late night, I take such great pleasure in the solitude and um, channel surfing and reading at the same time. Do you hang out after your shows? Like I've never. No. I mean, I haven't been on the road. Well, if there's a, a friend that has shown up or somebody I know um, that happens to live in that city then yes, we will hang out and talk, even though it causes great anxiety in me and I would like to go back to the hotel room. But I mean, to be, you know, to be fair, somebody who's come to see you that you went to school with or whatever, um, then I will definitely hang out and talk. And then sometimes you wind up talking to people that work at the club or theater or your coworker. You know, but you, you don't do like a meet and greet or anything. Oh, well, yeah, if there's... If there's anyone that wants to say hello, I will certainly say yeah. hello. I don't presume that there is, but sometimes there is, and, and that's fine. I'll do that. But it's not like a set thing, and I don't have merch that I sell or anything like that. Um, have you ever thought about that? There was a time when I thought, I would like to have um, merch, but then I thought, why? I'll tell you why. Then I'll Quick s- and easy money. Right, but you're just, why? You know, I mean, I, I was thinking I would like to have a wristband, you know, because I wear a lot of, like, a 
or I used to wear a lot of um, terry cloth or leather wrist cuffs. Then I thought, well, maybe that'll be a thing. And then I thought, that just seems narcissistic to put, you know, to have merch. And then you would have to stand there and sell it, and it just feels indulgent. Yeah, I feel the same way, but I still do it. Because, I mean, I feel like selling CDs, I I certainly don't have, like, a storefront. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not like a Hillary Duff concert. Mm-hmm. That's a current reference, right? Hillary Duff. Hillary Duff, right? And her sister Haley. <laughs> Taylor Swift. I'm not like Taylor that is, Swift. That probably is current. Has... But you want to get real current? Foxygen. Foxygen. Swedish House Mafia. I just read about the Swedish House Mafia. Yeah, I've read an entire article about them, and I never, I don't know anything about them except I do. Daft do Punk. These are just names I think the kids are into. Yeah, my shows afterwards are like a Daft Punk show. <laughs> Um, so you, you haven't even put out an album, though, have you? Or have you? Not that I know of. Not that you know of? Well, I'm going to say that's a no, mm-hmm. then. Most people know. Uh, there's been uh, times where Dave Rath uh, will say, send me stuff and we'll do it. And over the years, he's accumulated an enormous amount of material that probably is sitting unlistened to in his in his desk. Um, and Dave I Rath am not... manager. Yeah, it's a very nice guy. Yeah. Um but uh, and Carl Welker, my manager. But that I also am not the type of person who has who, who has that fire in my belly. Like, no, come on, let's get stuff out. Let's get. I feel like I feel like I, I feel very fulfilled by expressing myself on stage in the moment live. I, d- I don't. I mean, I have a, a few like specials over the years that I've done um, uh, and a DVD once that came out. But even that, uh, the promotion of that was painful to me. Like having to to do promotion for it. Hey, look at me. And now there's just so many, like, you don't even know, like, who am I doing an interview for? Like, right. I run a comedy blog. It's based out of... You know, right. You know, like, I mean, that's nice, but maybe if 12 people see it. Well, you know, it, I guess... It all helps. It all helps, I suppose, but it's one of those things where I, I just don't feel that comfortable doing it. There's some stuff that you have to do as your obligation to move tickets. I don't like to do it, but that's just because I'm socially awkward, but you're obligated to do it. Then there is, you know, when you're promoting something, there's like any kind of little website or blog, like you said, or, or zine, um, that would be okay if they, if they didn't tend, not all of them, to ask the same five questions. Uh, and it, it seems like, especially the younger there, they just do this kind of Google search or whatever, or IMDB you and ask about what they just pulled up. Uh, or they do that thing again. So and so said this about you. How do you respond? Which is just nonsense. It's not an interview to me. But there's typically the same five questions have been asked. I've been doing stand up since 1985, and sometimes there'll even be people, uh, which is this is not their fault. They'll just say, "I didn't know you did stand up. Why did you start doing stand up?" Um, and I said, "Well, I started doing it when I was in college. You did." Oh, I thought, I thought, you know, I just remember you, you know, you had been in some movies or something in the nineties. And, uh, I thought because that was, you know, you weren't acting that much anymore. You were doing stand up now, but, and I just feel like you knew you were going to interview me. It seems like, um, a little bit of information might've been helpful to us for, I don't think there's like, there's, there's not fact checking. There's not editing. There's, I mean, no fact checking at all. Very much less than I think. And then there's recycled misinformation that they pull up online and just recycle it. Yeah, I did an interview on the guy. There was like three names mentioned in the interview and he misspelled each and every one of them. It's like, oh, that it's means he made a mistake and then wrong. no one looked it over and caught it. Well, and that that goes for things like the New York Times too. I mean, this, this is just over the years um, when 
when we would do interviews, when Air America was starting, and we talked to every major news outlet, it, that's not where I went to school. That's not how you spell my name. That's it's, It just shows that they just don't really give a shit. Uh, not that I'm particularly important to anyone, but it's like, this is the New York Times. But then again, they've gotten, they've done way worse on a global scale, <laughs> um, misinformation-wise. But Do you, um, have you done any movies lately? Yes, only things that no one will ever see. I now only do indie movies wherein you need to even bring your own clothes from home. Um, I did a movie called Unfortunately Bad Parents, which I hate that title. I did a movie called A Little Game. Is it called Bad Parents or Unfortunately Bad Parents? No, I I wish it was called Unfortunately Titled Bad Parents. Um, It's called Bad Parents. I did a movie called A Little Game. I did a movie called Gorilla Girls. I did... um, Two pilots that may or may not get picked up, um, but well, you're working then. That's good. Oh, intermittently, intermittently, and on stuff like I said, if there's no money to make the thing, there's not going to be a lot to distribute it. But but you want to work, so you know. And since I don't have, unfortunately, the access to the opportunities on a, on a bigger scale anymore, um, you know, you 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 work when you can. Do you ever not like acting? Like, do you ever go... This oh, if it's a shit... Pro- like, when I was on the Criminal Minds spinoff, I was so unhappy, I can't even tell you. Because it, it was it was just a um, painfully, painfully... Uh, culturally irresponsible. It was not well-written, and it was, it was painful. Having said that, I liked my cast, and I enjoyed it, and it's nice to have a job. But it's not worth it to me when it's a job that is, is so poorly executed. Um... It's it's uh, like any any job anyone has any vocation. Some there's good days and bad days, and there's some jobs that you do no matter what line of work you're in where you're like, why are we doing this? To whose benefit is this? And that's what criminal mind suspect behavior was for me. Um, it was a, a torture porn show basically, just culturally irresponsible, and um, there was no need to have been doing it. It could have been better. They opted not to make it better. It was just... Were you... Do they know how you feel about it? I guess they... Yeah, yeah. That show's not on the air. Oh, no, it got canceled. Uh, And, you know, what what can you do? Most people aren't um, that outspoken about it. It's not outspoken. It's not outspoken. That's not being outspoken. You know, you ask me a question, I can only answer you. And and in, in certain cases, there are some some programs or acting jobs that you do where... It's it. It shouldn't be mercenary like that. It's just like you know what I. I feel like we're actually doing harm here. Yeah. Culturally speaking, and if it's a show you wouldn't let your children watch, I don't have kids, but uh, I would never have let them watch it. Why would I be on something I wouldn't allow my own kids to look at? Just morally speaking, so I shouldn't have been there. I did ask to leave, um, but that's not how it works. They'll let you go on their terms. If you ask to be let go, you're never going anywhere. Um, in the last episode, though, they shot me in the head. Um, that should have done were it, right? thinking They were thinking it was going to get picked up. But even though I had very politely asked, um, can, I, can I leave? And, and um, you know, the, no one will miss me. It, it, I'm not integral. You know what I mean? It's, the show will go on without me. And, or there'll be 8 billion other actors who, who uh, don't care 
about the words they say or about the or about the graphic violence who will be happy to do this um, I shall quietly take my leave that is ne- that will never happen at least in my experience what they will do is make you stay until they decide you will leave uh, do you know what I mean like and they are they they have the power to do that because you have a contract right, right. and um, most agents will pretend that they might help you get out. They will never, on a long-running, especially a crime procedural or a legal procedural, especially these um, these uh, franchise shows, um, there's not an agent in the world, for the most part, that's ever going to really try and help you out there. It's an easy money for them. They Because they would be helping themselves make less money if they help. Right. They get a commission from 23 episodes, and there's no way that they will truly try and get you off of it. And it's a show they're not watching. You know what I mean? So, like, when you say to them, did you see what they did to this poor young girl? Again, this week, she was sliced and diced in her underwear, and it was just terrible. And, uh, of course not, because this person who is not going to ha- take you off the show has not, is not going to watch this show. And um, But then they will make sure you know that, that you're not coming back on their terms by a bullet to the head, but honestly, that was the happiest day of my shooting. I, I could I couldn't have been happier being tied to that chair and 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 taking taking the bullet in the head. When they realized you didn't want to be there, were they? Was everyone just as nice to you, or was there like oh, she's oh, a troublemaker? Was, I wasn't a troublemaker. Yeah, you know, you will be perceived as a troublemaker if you ask any questions. If you're female, mm-hmm. again, I know that people are like. Nah, 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 nah. I'm telling you, there were males who were more vocal than me, who no one was upset by it. When my se- when I, or uh, occasionally one of the writers who was female would say something, oh, what a nightmare she is. And even some of the male writers admitted there is a total double standard that's going on in the writer's room, just so you know. You know, they would admit to that. And that is not just in entertainment, that's in all walks of life. But yet, anybody who asks questions would be considered a troublemaker, but especially if you're female. And I would say to that, if you're a hack, then I guess you'd think I'm difficult. If you're a hack. If you're not, it's like, you know, doing Delocated or doing that play I did at the New Group Theater or doing like that movie, A Little Game. It's a pleasure all the way through. I, I am thrilled to be there. Everybody's doing the best they can, whether they have money or not. The writing is, is good, or at least they're trying to do the best they can. If, if that's the case, I, I'm very happy. If there are people who are phoning it in or just, uh, um, going out of their way to be sensationalist in the writing or, or the writing is, is grammatically even poor or whatever, then I, I will be perceived as difficult, even though I am speaking now. I admit I lost my temper a few times um, on on the set on an individual basis, which got all blown out of proportion. And then the people that I lost my temper with went above my head to say, you know what I mean? Like, and I thought it was between me and this person. Who, right, like you worked it out. You like we share out. cigarettes and, and we both lost our temper. To me, that seems fine. Um, but apparently you will find out later that these things are not fine. Um, I get, especially if you're a person who doesn't, if you're a person that doesn't have, uh, if I was very famous, I guess, or something, then it would be okay. But if you're a disposable, like a big lighter of an actor, which I am, and, and I say that, uh, in, in a non self-deprecating way, I say that with great pragmatism and awareness that I am a product that, that need not, uh, that, that ha- there's no great demand for that. That's just the way it is. 
And I see myself as a Bic lighter. That's why when I say, can I leave? Let's get another Bic lighter in here. You know what I mean? Who, who won't ask a question. Because there are a lot of actors who are just journeyman actors who you could put in front of them the worst comedy or the worst drama and they would never know the difference or they would not care. And also a lot of, you know, I don't have kids in a nut to cover. I own my apartment. I live modestly. I was financially prudent in the 90s. So I'm not, um, if I had kids and I needed money, I might think of these things differently. I probably still would have had the same thought about criminal mind suspect behavior because of the violence and, and the bad writing. But um, if I had children, I probably would be less inclined to say, hmm, do I need to be here? Because I would be thinking that's not my primary responsibility. My primary responsibility is to be uh, uh, financially able to take care of these children. But I don't, I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage. I don't own a car. You know, any of those things. So I, I don't have to be here at this show. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's just weird that they, I mean, it's not weird, but it's weird that they wouldn't just go, oh, she doesn't want to be here. So what, why, why it's don't just, we just I don't go? know. I, it just, that's just not how it works. They'd be happy to fire me if, mm-hmm. if, if they had said it first. And I would have been very happy too. Uh, they just didn't say it first. Unfortunately, oh, so it was like an ego if they, I don't know what it, you know, with, with networks, a lot of times it's about control mm-hmm. or about the perceived loss of control. And I'm not trying to, and also I speak in very tr- strident tones, as you can see. Um, it unfortunately makes me come off as seeming a lot more, um, uh, maybe serious or, or aggressive than I mean to. I, I, I say the, like when I said, can I please leave? I, I promise you. There's no reason for me to lie to you. Uh, I promise you, I did it in a way of, I really appreciate that you gave me this opportunity. This this is not right for me. That's happened on a, on a couple shows over the years that I've been on, or projects I've been on where I've been asked, or I've asked, can I go? Um, like I said, they'd be happy to fire me, but I can't come up with the idea. I don't know why. That's sort of like when I know that there's people who sell a script to a network and then they go, we don't want to make this. And there's some legal thing where, and you can't even sell and this to another. Exactly. Network. We're just we didn't want to make this, but we want to make sure no one else. Exa- it happens all the time. It's they, for whatever reason, they suspect somebody else might do something good with this. Like it's not going to be hurt. us. Like they don't want, they want to know, they it's don't want any ego. proof that they were wrong. Exactly. Ego and fear, which is like I said, part of the human condition and in every business you could think of, not just entertainment, but when you're running, on, on, on fear and ego, creativity is the last thing that's going to happen. Most TV shows and movies succeed despite the corporation's best efforts, despite it. Um, it, it's, it's a fluke really on mainstream TV and in mainstream film when it works well, it's a fluke. Everyone will take credit for it, but I'm sure they stood in the way of every great idea the director or the actors had or the producers. And, and yet it came out well. When something like that happens, are you just like, God, I should, this is why I do stand-up? Because I can just do whatever the fuck I want. Well, I just love doing... I mean, yeah, stand-up is my primary like- passion. I love to do it. And when I can't do it for a long time, I start getting very, very down, like in, a, in an abstract way. And then I realize, oh, I haven't been doing stand-up. And I don't say that like, a grateful nation thanks me. I'm doing stand-up. It's just something... You're I, wired to do. I love to do. Um, and I've been doing it for so long. And I enjoy it so much. I enjoy acting too, and I wish I could do more of it. It's not up to me. Stand up is up to me. I have no control over my acting career. I am beholden to anyone uh, who 
is inclined to hire me. And it's few and far between. I mean, being a middle-aged woman, it, it's, it's a rough go. But also, uh, there's there's very little imagination. Like I, And I will frequently say to my agent, those male parts, let me audition for that. Let me audition for that. It's, it's fine. There's no reason it has to be female. And don't change a word. Yeah, you don't have to change yeah, right. one thing about it unless the guy, say the name's Paul, make it Paula. But change nothing. For some reason, that's so difficult for some people to wrap their mind around. Unless you are a huge star, like say, uh, whoever is you know, um, I don't know Amy Poehler, whatever, some somebody huge, or Reese Witherspoon, wh- whoever, Chelsea Handler. If they were to say, "I'd like to pay, play this male role," it would be done. Unfortunately, somebody still might try and rewrite it. Unfortunately even though it's fine the way it is. But they will say, oh, yes, we can do that. If you are not a person who is in great demand, they will uh, make it seem like, well, that just can't be done. And the same way, unfortunately, people of color run into that all the time. Um, it's There's still that problem uh, where there'll be uh, actors who are not white who will say, can I audition for this? But it's like, well, it doesn't say a black guy or an Asian guy or or a Filipino woman or a Latin woman. It doesn't say that. Well, why does it have to say it? Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's it's still there's still these weird hurdles. They're better than they were, but it's still there. Yeah, it's probably just your it's probably your agent just wanting things to be as easy as possible. Well, it's not and just not the agent. It, it's 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 not just the agent. It is when I directly speak to, like, if say I go in an audition for something, but there's another. I'll do that, and then I'll notice there's another part of this male part, and I'll say, is that cast yet? Can I read for that? And that seems to throw them. Sometimes they let me, and I think they're just being polite. But um, And it's not so much... I think my agent, and I'm not criticizing them, I think they are aware, again, they have a product that there's no demand for. So what can they do? Do you know what I mean? They... they, they, they uh, They'd have to push real hard. I mean, there's some clients they have who the work just comes in. They just field phone calls. And then there's a lot of clients, like myself, where that's not how it works anymore. The phone calls are not just going to come in. You've got to um, go through the breakdowns or whatever. And, you know, do they want to do that? Not particularly. They would rather just field the phone calls. I mean, there are inroads they make sometimes, and sometimes they will be proactive. But for the most part, they got their hands full with the clients that are just... Breaking it hot, as they say, yeah. you know, so they're busy making sure that those clients stay hot. So it's like a catch 22. So it, it's not like they're going to bust their ass for a client that nobody's asking for. And I, again, I'm not saying that in, in a poor me way. I'm just uh, telling you that that's the way it is. And, and uh, you have to divest your ego from it. It hurts your feelings, but you have to just realize that that's the business you've chosen. Nobody's making you do this. So either get out and do something else, but I don't have any marketable skills, or stay in and shut up and and try and write something, which, again, um, I do try and write stuff, but then you have to go through the whole meetings. I don't have the stomach for it of trying to sell they it, They don't always raise read it money. Like it takes oh, a- they almost never read it. Or they'll lie to you and say they read it. I've had that. Right. Where oh, because I will ask trick questions about if they read it, just to test. Um, I'll ask about a certain scene or a page, and they'll I'll say, I was a little unsure about this scene with... The part with the chicken. Whatever. Did you like it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was no chicken. chicken. And, I'll, and then I'll say, you know, there was no chicken. <laughs> or, you know, just as an example. I've not used the chicken example. <laughs> and they don't miss a beat. Um, they'll just skim right over and say, oh, I read a lot of scripts or whatever. It, it, it means nothing to them. Uh, but 
Yeah, just it, imagine with the headset on and the. Well, when you're on the phone with them, I can hear. I can hear. Hear them typing. Them typing and checking their email and. Um, but you know, again, no one makes me do this, and I. What I need to just do is, uh, keep writing and hope that maybe I do have the stomach for the process of, of getting someone interested and fundraising or whatever it is, but it's a, it's something I'm not very good at. Or I have to hope somebody takes a chance and says, I'm going to cast her in this. Well, if you write something, you want to attach my name to it. Well, we're doing that thing together with oh, yeah, Michael Showalter. Yeah, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it, but we... Junglers. Well, then let's say no more about it. Yeah, but, it's something. There but I heard a, there's a sizzle reel. There's a... There's a pro- do you... um. Do you have any anything you want to plug? Stand updates or anything? Uh, well, Eastville. I'm always at Eastville in the stand. Always at Eastville in the stand. Eastville in the stand in New York City. I and like those uh, well. tonight I'm at UCB East. Yeah, it's not going to be on tonight, but uh, right. Well, for the mo- mostly um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays I'm at the stand, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturdays I'm. You don't have Eastville. any big road gigs. Uh, not until uh, not this month, May. I'm mostly here, and then hopefully Dave Hill and I we are trying to do England, Ireland, Scotland. Um, to get that because he has connections in in England, um, and we're trying to do shows through there. That'd be fun. That would be great. That would be really great. Would People, you Would you like to plug something? No, no, no. I will. I will record separately and add. And just it'll just be it'll be the cheese. It's conversation, mm-hmm. and then just one plug after another for me. Does this seem like this whole? The, this whole conversation we've been had is so terribly boring. No, and I've monopolized were you bored? It. No, no, no. I'm just afraid my strident tones and my um, monotonous voice, and also it sounds like I'm just complaining, which I, I don't mean. No, it I don't to. think. It, I don't think. He, I, I hope it doesn't come off no, that way. Come I, off and 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 I want to emphasize again. Uh, I realize that that I have elected to do this for a living, so I should. I do have a grasp of that. I do have a grasp of that. Uh, but I can, I can, I can only say what is, what is going on, and I, I don't mean it to sound ungrateful or complaining. I hope it doesn't sound like no, I don't think it can, I think it just came across as you uh, being real, getting real. I've never used that expression. But actually, well, like what, going back to what you said, like outspoken. Use the word outspoken. Well, what I meant with that, I, I feel like I insulted you. I didn't mean that. No, 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 no. I no, just no. felt like people would have probably quietly just quit or. As opposed to going, I don't like this show, Emma. Oh, no, no. That's what I meant by I did it quietly. Like I said, I would never say that to the press at the time, especially when I asked to be let go. It was quietly Mm -hmm. and respectfully to uh, uh, the person who had hired me. And, you know, I mean, who I've known for many years. And and, and I was... uh, Coming from a, a place of, of no ego whatsoever, when I say that, you know, it, no one will miss me. You know what I mean? Like, there's not a viewer in the world that would go, wait, where'd that, where'd that girl go? Uh, you know what I mean? That, that, that would never happen. And also, um, I take no pleasure in, in um, stirring up trouble or having people mad at me. Not at all. Um, but I feel like... Um, when people ask me questions, I, I like to answer them because being evasive or pretending like, oh, I loved it. It was great. It's just there's something about them. Why listen to anyone talk? Why ask a question? You right, know what I mean? And people see through that also. I would assume people see through it. And now if I was on um, a mainstream TV show and the show I was on that I didn't like was on at the time, I would not 
sit there. It's unpleasant for the viewer, for somebody to sit there and, and, and go, this show I'm on right now, blah, 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 blah. There, there's no value in that. And I wouldn't do that. Um, I would find diplomatic ways to answer the question. I would not be one of those people that says, we love it, blah, blah, blah. I would find all the good things about, and there were good things in that I made a lot of friends there who are still my friends. That I would focus on, you know, whatever was good. And I adopted a dog while I was doing it, which was great. And so I would, I would bring up all the good things and leave out the, the other stuff. But it's been years now since that show was canceled. Right. And I don't think anyone who's seen it or who was involved in it is under the, uh, laboring under the misapprehension that it was a quality product that, uh, let's hope none of them are listening to my podcasts. Well, I'm sure even if they were, believe me, there's no, nothing easier to hurt than a hack writer or a hack producer's feelings. That's the easiest thing in the world. But the hackier, the, the writer and producer, the more precious they are about their words and feelings, the better I've found this over the years, the better the writer and producer and director, they are open, open, open to creative criticism or collaboration. And you also in turn have to be quite open to them coming at you and saying, well, I don't like the way you did that scene and it's not working for, you know what I mean? Like, but I like that, um, where you, you sense this reciprocity of like, trust uh, between us and and it doesn't hurt my feelings really when because there was a, a number of directors who did it that was another upside I met a lot of fun directors on that because they have a different director every week when I was doing Criminal Minds to make sure that no directors got any ideas about improving the show so they would have you know and then uh, Tim Matheson who I love from Animal House from yeah. the director. he's a director now and I've worked with him before on West Wing and stuff and it's a thrill I love working with him and he is I love him and he uh, and I uh, have, have a really good relationship, and every once in a while, he would say things like when I would say, oh, this scene is so whatever, and he would say, well, you, uh, you're not very good in it, you know what I mean? But I enjoyed that. Like, uh, he didn't get his feelings hurt, really. He was being quite honest back at me. I just complained uh, or stated that this scene is really, you know, uh, it's been done. And then, you know, this, what we're doing, and then he will shoot back, quite honestly. Well, you're not very good in it, you know, which, which I really enjoyed uh, and that's because he's a nice guy a confident guy and a creative guy he can take it then there are some women and men who don't have any of those attributes that Tim Matheson has and if you were to even slightly suggest something the they move toward anger so quickly and viciousness or the first thing they do is tell somebody behind your back that you have been disruptive like at school, like it's a very immature hierarchical thing. And that's another thing between like quality producers, writers, directors, they don't do that. They don't need to tell anybody behind your back about anything that's transpired betwixt you because it's <laughs> like humans. It stays there. This is the longest I've talked to you without using betwixt. I know. I said betwixt twice last night too. And then said, Hey, I said betwixt twice. Did you get a whilst in there? No, but I, uh, I always like to say ill-mannered when I can. Uh, I like to say I shall take my leave when I can. I think I heard you say whilst before I heard anyone like from the UK say it. And then I, they say really? it all the time. I was like, oh. I thought a lot of people said whilst. I thought she invented this. No, no, no. I, I believe, uh, you know, it goes way back. <laughs> whilst goes way back. Um, Janine. I'm sweating, Todd. Yeah, it's hot in here. 
let's come go to, outside. Come hot gossip. Yeah, let's get out of here. Hot gossip. Thanks for being on my show. Thank you for did having you, me. Did you enjoy it reasonably? I did enjoy it. I just hope that, that uh, well, you'll edit it down, oh, right? So listeners won't be barraged with. I don't know. This might be a. This might be an. This might be a. What's the word I'm looking for? All inclusive as is. <laughs> I don't. I would. I wouldn't do that to your listeners if right. I were you. I might. I might. You gotta edit the cheese it. it no, I, that's. I'll part. make that longer. Or drop it in intermittently. <laughs> Chop it up like do a mashup. It just sound like I kept changing the subject. Yeah. Thanks, Janine. Thank you, Todd. Bye. Thanks to Janine Garofalo again. You can follow me on Twitter at Todd Barry. Uh, ToddBarry.com is the website. Feral Audio hosts this podcast along with many others. Go there and check them out and donate to them if you like. I have some tour dates coming up. May 26, Burlington, Vermont at the uh, Green Mountain Comedy Festival. That sounds right. And then July 11th through 14th, I'll be at Caroline's. Code Todd B will save you $10 off Thursday and th- Sunday shows. Not the Sunday. Sunday and Thursday. And I'll have other dates that I'm adding soon. So that's it. Toddberrypodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Bye. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub. Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase.